It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th, 1998. Goldberg captured the gold. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to another edition of Reliving the War. My name is Nimsizor, joined as always by my partner in crime, Simon Tackler. We are here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network and we've got a massive pay-per-view to look at. It's the biggest party of the summer in 1996, Simon. Yeah, right in my middle of my Shawn Michaels fandom peak. It's 1996. I was nine years old. This was just the most exciting time of my wrestling fandom. This was another one too for anyone that grew up in that era in Australia because you you might miss an international incident in your video store. You might miss a beware of dog uh, and in your house, but you always got the summer slams. You always got the king of the rings. You always got the Royal Rumbles and the WrestleManias. These were the ones that you'd see sometimes even at the checkout at supermarkets. It was just a show that you couldn't miss. So I'm guessing a lot of people would have watched this show, Simon. Yeah, this was huge. I think everyone, even if you're a casual fan, you know, as a kid, you're like SummerSlam. That's a big one. I'm going to get that. And I remember the um, video case, like the poster, it was blue. It's got Shawn Michaels. It's got Vader. Opposites attack. Like it felt exciting. And, you know, as a kid thinking, can Shawn Michaels beat Vader, this new monster in WWF? Like this felt huge. It was big. And for me, I wasn't really a big WCW, early WCW watcher. Like, until Hulk Hogan got there, that entire era of WCW never existed for me. Like, I never knew about it. The first time I saw uh, Mick Foley as a wrestler, it was in the WWF. Like, mm-hmm. I never saw his work as Cactus Jack. So, a guy like Vader, who was brought into the WWF, and we just saw in the last pay-per-view, he demolished Shawn Michaels. Like, he was just seen as... This guy's huge. He's a monster. He's a mastodon, as uh, as Vince McMahon constantly kept saying. But going into this pay-per-view, this was actually like a clash of the titans. Yeah, and this kind of felt old school, though, because you're right. Like, if you didn't have the context of who Vader was, it felt like when the new monsters would come in to fight Hulk Hogan, you know, it was the endless loop of Earthquake and Zeus and everybody, King Kong Bundy. Like, this felt like that, like, oh, my God. Vader is that modern day equivalent and he's going to kill Shawn Michaels because Shawn by that point, the only big guy he'd wrestled in that title run uh, was Diesel. And now it's mm. like, well, can he take on someone like Vader? Yeah, hundred percent. And we kick off the pay-per-view with um, it's night and day. The, quality of video packages between the WWF and WCW because we mentioned hog wild uh, it was like they didn't even rock up in fact we were critical of international incident with its minimal video packaging but you could tell whoever did the stuff for king of the ring probably had the month off for international international incident but came back with a bang because we start off with first off uh, the little WWF the worldwide leader for over 50 years little graphic and then we get this 
cool, dark and brooding little piece where it basically goes, <laughs> and this is the part that I, that I thought was great. Masks are evil and the people who wear masks are monsters. <laughs> it was great though. The, it was all about the different types of monsters. But yeah, they made a big point about uh, the masks. The classic WWE, like... Um, sort of classic music that they would use mm -hmm. in these videos. And then the voiceover, this has been driving me nuts. I always forget to look up the name of th this guy who does the voiceovers, you know, in the 90s. Jim yeah. Fagan was his name. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. He also did voiceovers for the NBA and heaps of sports in America. The fact that WWE had access to him in the mid-90s into the Attitude Era made a huge difference. And that's the reason why we remember these videos compared to WCW. Like that guy, so he, incredible. So he, for those that might not know, he's the voice that does the worldwide leader in sports and entertainment. That's his voice, which is very distinguished. And even hearing it now, it takes me sort of back to that era, uh, which is pretty cool. But something else that also takes me back to that era is when they opened SummerSlam, Vince McMahon's going absolutely bonkers. Welcome, everyone, to Cleveland, Ohio, for SummerSlam in the Gund Arena. It just seemed so huge. Yeah. Like he, you could probably, I wish there was a camera on him because this was so the peak Vince McMahon announcing at the start of a pay per view is Royal Rumble Vince announcing welcome to the Royal Rumble. <laughs> this was yeah. probably a couple of decibels lower. Yeah, I, I, I'll say it again. I'll say it. Every WWF pay-per-view we do where Vince announces, every pay-per-view should still start with a voice clip of Vince saying, welcome, everyone. <laughs> that is how you open a pay-per-view. And to me, it's Pyro and it's Vince McMahon yelling at me. Like, that's how a pay-per-view starts. Um, very, also, very huge. Yeah. he mentions the, the sponsor, Stridex Extra Stridex. Large Pads. Do you know what a Stridex is? Because as a kid, I, I had no idea. It's an American. Thing. I was, I was meaning to look it up, but I just never did. But and just to give you an example of some of the other things, you know, you have stuff like Karate Fighters, Super <laughs> yeah. Soaker, and things like that going and going and sponsoring WWE shows. So to hear Stridex pads, part of me is like, is this for the elderly? Hey, it's SummerSlam, so they're extra large Stridex pads. <laughs> they're um. Uh, what's it called? They're pads that you put on your face for acne. Oh, like the Clearasil one. Yes, they're Clearasil. Yes, oh I was trying to remember the Australian equivalent. Yes. Oh my god, that's fantastic! Because all that all the time I'm sitting there on pads. What is is this for? Like, are these for, for old pads? people? For cars? Yeah. What are maybe? they? What are they talking about? But uh, look, it was. There you go. They got to get their money somehow, and it kept it kept the lights on in the Gund Arena, so that was good to sort of see. But completely out of the gate. Starts off with an absolute ripper match. Owen Hart versus Savio Vega. You forget, actually, looking back, Savio Vega is going to fall into that Mark Mero category of and Ahmed Johnson, where guys were, were sort of, um, they were bit players, but they were important bit players, if that makes sense, in that era. Yeah, WWF um, seemed to have a few of these throughout the eras. You're right. In 96, it was Savio, Mark Mero, and Ahmed Johnson. A few years later, it would be guys like Val Venus and D'Lo Brown. These really good, really reliable guys who would fill out the card, always put on a pretty good match, you know, over with the crowds. They never got to that next level. But you know what? At this time, I don't think it mattered. I think you could be content that like, Savio Vega, he was good. And that's all he needed to be. And he was good. 
and, and the difference too was unlike mid carders of um, you know back in the day in the generation prior it wasn't like the goon it wasn't repo man it wasn't it wasn't john tenter his earthquake savio vega's gimmick was just he's savio vega and he's a good wrestler yeah and really you didn't know they were a jobber until you were an adult and you look back on it at the time you're like i love savio he wins sometimes like sometimes he might win like this will be the one. This will be the one where he gets the win against that dastardly Owen Hart because Owen Hart's got a broken hand in this one. Yeah. So that gives that gives Savio the edge. But I'll tell you, Owen Hart with the cast on his arm. So Owen's going into this with uh, with an injury, and I use the air quotes there. So he's got the cast on one arm, and it's the Bob Orton thing. Hmm. As a kid, though, I didn't know Bob Orton had a broken arm. To me. Owen Hart was the guy with the broken arm gimmick. You know what I mean? This yeah. was the first time yeah. I saw it. Um, this was this was just uh, like the way and Owen as a performer and the the more and more that you go back and watch him in these old pay-per-views, you realise just how good, not just as a wrestler he was, but as a character. In terms of character work, I reckon he's better than Brett. I said it during King of the Ring when Owen was doing commentary. Mm. We didn't notice that Brett wasn't on the show. Brett yeah. coming back in late 96 and then the Hart Foundation becoming a faction in 97 is awesome. 97's a great year. Brett Hart kills it. But if Brett never came back, Owen Hart, I think, would have had a better career because yeah. he's such a big part of these shows. He calls King of the Ring. He's in the main event of International Incident. He has this great showcase. Brett, Brett turning heel and being a heel with Owen takes away from Owen's momentum. And he never gets it back, sadly, obviously. No, which, which is a bit of a shame there. But on the topic of commentary, we've got Mr. Perfect is actually part of the commentary team here too. And he does an absolutely stunning job here. It's, it's fantastic. But um, the thing that also got me in this match was Owen so seamlessly managed to work in the theatrics of I've got a cast. Oh, he's like, it works in both ways. Like he will point to his cast when Savio does a good move saying I'm disadvantaged. He's going to hit the cast yet. He will use the cast himself against Savio. It's so well done. Yeah. He never just falls into the trap of like doing moves and you're like, wait, hold on. You've got the cast. Like, yeah, it's, it's part of everything that he does in this match. And I think it's underrated. I actually forgot this match existed completely until I watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's kind of a fun I wouldn't say it's like Owen Hart's greatest match, but it's definitely worth watching because it's a different performance from Owen and Savio holds up his own. Kind of interesting if we contrast this to WCW though. Um, They kicked off their pay-per-view with a cruiserweight match. This is Mm -hmm. like a WWF cruiserweight match. Cruiserweight match, yeah. For its time, this is about as fast-paced as a WWF match would get. And it's pretty good. It's well-wrestled. They don't make any mistakes. So No. Definitely not. And they keep you... You never feel bored at all. I think it goes for about 15 odd minutes, but it feels... Just flies like that. One thing that did... My only criticism of this match is... And I don't know because I wasn't watching the Raws at the time. Hmm. What was Clarence Mason doing? Like, Clarence Mason just randomly comes out and just hovers above the ring. He he doesn't get involved in the finish, but um, he's just there. (laughs) From what I can remember, I think... Owen and Bulldog break away from Cornette and Clarence Mason becomes their manager. It doesn't last long, but I feel like, and that's why we saw it later in the Bulldog match as well. But Clarence Mason, for anyone who doesn't know, 
was WWE's attempt at the time to be current, you know, current events. Uh, he yep. was a real-life lawyer that they then hired to be a knockoff of Johnny Cochran, who famously uh, defended O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, time. yeah. Yeah. He did, he did kind of have that Jackie Charles from uh, Seinfeld look uh, to him. What year <laughs> did Seinfeld do Jackie Charles? I'd love to know who did the parody first, WWF or Seinfeld. I have a feeling, so let's see, Seinfeld wrapped up in 1998. I have a feeling that, yeah, it might have been roughly around the same time, That's give funny. or take. But, uh, but I can definitely see WWE um, seeing that and going, oh, but hang on, because maybe the WWF did it first, because they did the OJ being chased down the highway at WrestleMania. Oh, that that's year. true, they did. Yeah, they so did. maybe maybe they managed to get a nose in in front of Seinfeld, but a uh, uh, match as as Simon said, fantastic. Uh, it's not something that you're going to go out of your way to go and oh, this is underrated classics, but it's definitely one that you won't hate yourself for watching and go, why did I waste my time? Side note too, at the end of the match, Bradshaw comes out like the future JBL comes out and just absolutely decimates Savio Vega. Yeah, Justin Hawk Bradshaw with his long flowing blonde hair. It's a very different. <laughs> Bradshaw then that we would see, you know, to the Attitude Era and, of course, beyond. But also, he shows up with Uncle Zeb, of course, mm. who would be Zeb Coulter or Dutch Mantel. And weird that it didn't work for JBL early on. It took him so long to get there. You know, this is 96. Hugely long. He doesn't Huge. become champion till, what is it, 04? Yep. Like, yeah, my God. 05, eight. actually. 05. 05. Yeah. Because because O four is oh, Eddie he's... winning it at WrestleMania. Oh yeah, uh, no, no. And then JBL beats him a couple of months after that. A couple of months later, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay, but still, eight years. My God, it's a long time, yeah. and they never gave up on him. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very strange. The thing that I noticed too, despite the long blonde hair, is uh, fans of the video game WCW NWO Revenge hmm. would know that you could sort of swap attires. Uh, Bradshaw's body from the neck down has always been the same his head <laughs> his head changes you notice like right. acolytes acolyte, he, he always looks the same but his head his hairstyle always changes like the acolytes who just had him with black hair and a goatee jbl just had slightly blonde blonde tips clean shaven just had the big yeah. mustache yeah you're right though. that's, that, that's a testament to him though he stayed in consistent shape for like 20 years good on you JBL. <laughs> um just the ending of the match though owen uh savio backdrops owen off the top rope but he lands on the arm of owen which has a cast on it which like gives him a headache and then mm. owen is able to take the cast off hit him with it ref doesn't see it and then he puts on the sharpshooter and beats him it's such a weird ending that you really have to buy into. Like, oh, his head hit his hand with the cast on it. Like, yeah. But it's fun. It, it's, it is a bit of fun. And uh, kudos, though. It's, it's a really good match. And, uh, yeah, I, it, it sort of gets the show off right. You're right. It is their cruiserweight match. Because when you think about it, Owen and Savio are the two small guys of the WWF at the time. Um, then we get into a rather odd one. And you... You actually sent me a message about this one earlier when we were doing the watch-along, Simon, but uh, mm. Todd Pettingill heads into the boiler room. And yeah. I don't know about you, but how many times did he say the phrase, dark and ominous? I think he was running out of what to say. They were like, <laughs> we're just going to shoot it live. Describe the boiler room, of course, for the boiler room brawl coming up. 
And at one point he's like, it's dark, it's ominous, there are pipes. And that was it. He wasn't like, there are pipes that have steam. He's just, it's ominous, there are pipes. Because yeah. we've discussed this. Before WWF, we didn't know what a boiler room was. And even, yeah. even now, even with Todd giving us a tour, we just know that it's dark and there are pipes. And, that's and it's it. ominous. And, and it's, it's ominous. ominous. And yeah. then he finds Mankind in the boiler room who cuts a great promo. And this is the, the great thing about Mick Foley. Any character he's in, the promo is completely different. Like he's great at mm. all the characters, but it's a different style. Mankind 96 is its own thing. And yeah, unlike anything else in wrestling at the time. So good. Very much so. If, you, if you're a fan of Mick Foley's work and maybe you jumped on board during the Attitude Era and are used to the happy-go-lucky Mankind, it's going to really shake your system to see the early days of Mankind where he's deranged, he's psychotic, and he really does sort of sell that. He was... It's almost that... Um, the, the, fragile, the fragile child inside like yeah. a monster's body sort of thing. It's really cool what Mick was able to do with that character and how it evolved into the three faces of Foley. But then we head back into the ring where you've got an absolute barnstormer of a match. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we can't say enough about Savio Vega and <laughs> Owen Hart to start us off. But man, oh man, when you start off, when you go away from the boiler room and the first thing you hear is the Rockers theme, and then realize it's 1996 and it's actually the new rockers with Marty Jannetty and Leaf Cassidy. Yeah. You're in a, you're in a, you know, that maybe this could be the bathroom break match. Yeah. And it only goes downhill from there. Four corners tag title match, the rockers, the Godwins, the body guns, and the smoking guns. Like we've discussed at the past two pay-per-views, the smoking guns, the Godwins and the body donners. Like, they are so mid-90s WWF, and they would mm. all be gone by the Attitude Era. Chuck in the new rockers as well. This is a recipe for disaster. I just wrote in big, bold letters, I'm over these teens. And then I was like, <laughs> why? Why? This sucked. You know what, what was so strange, though? Like, uh, uh, the Body Donners... Not the body donor, sorry, the Godwins. So Phineas I and Henry O. <laughs> <laughs> They're both crowd favorites. Like they're so hugely over. Everything they do is just, and, you know, remove the entrance and the piped in crowd noise, but everything they do, they get the hot tags. They get everything like that. They're very much, which is so strange to say, considering the fact that the gimmicks are just so god awful. But they're really, really popular. Who else are you going to cheer, though? The fake rockers? This the, is true. The, the fake, um, you know, like uh, exercise aerobics guys or the fake cowboys? <laughs> like, you're left with no Side choice note. but to cheer <laughs> the farmers. Side note about the body donors. Dr. Tom Pritchett here was clearly... <laughs> he did not... <laughs> he's... He, he let his gym membership expire or something. Like, I'm not saying that you and I are by any means the peak of physical perfection here, Simon, but uh, if you're going to be in a tag team that's mm. essentially we're a fitness duo and your partner, Chris Candido, looks like a million bucks. Oh, he looks great, yeah. But uh, Dr. Tom, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Well, I guess maybe that was part of turning face, though, because they left Sonny, but Sonny was the one forcing them to do all those sit-ups. And Dr. Tom was like, no, I'm going to enjoy a hamburger once every now and yeah. then. Um, JR, JR with the absolute biggest lie of the whole show. This is going to resemble one of those Jackie Chan movies. It did not re resemble a Jackie Chan movie. 
If it did, it resembled the one that he filmed in Melbourne in the late two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely did not resemble a Jackie Chan movie. A couple of, one highlight, two highlights actually, and both of them are smoking guns related that I've managed to pick out of that cesspool. Uh, the guns having to wrestle each other when both of them got the hot tag from mm-hmm. Godwin's and um, and the body donors. Was it the body donors? I think it might have yeah, been, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they both just strutted away Ric Flair style afterwards <laughs> and left Billy in but to sort of wrestle each other before they realise, hang on a second, we can just tag other people. Yeah. Uh, and there's a line by Vince, a verbal tirade from Billy Gunn. <laughs> when Billy Gunn starts talking smack. But uh, yeah, this is just... If, if we sort of say hidden, there are hidden gems about 1996 WC, uh, WWF that you might have missed, this is the stuff that makes you miss those hidden gems because you're just like, that's right. 1996 WWF was the new rockers versus the body donners versus the Godwins versus the smoking guns. But um, side note, before we move on to our next match or a little, our next segment, this always reminds me of a very funny joke regarding the new rockers where someone said to Al Snow once, um, Al Snow, who's, as you know, he's whatever you think of him, that's fine, but he's obviously ruffled a few feathers. Someone once said to him, you were the Marty Jannetty in a tag team that had Marty Jannetty in it. Absolutely Which... the best wrestler insult ever. It's so good. That's <laughs> the best. Um, but yes, I, I, so... One thought I had during this match, because my mind was drifting. Yeah. In, out, of four team, out of four teams, two of them were fake brothers. You had the smoking guns and you had the Godwins. And then it got mm. me thinking, who are the best fake brother tag teams in wrestling? And then I started thinking, it's got to be Edge and Christian. But Edge then Christian, also, yeah. the Dudley boys are fake brothers too. That's true. Are those that... two teams the best fake brothers in wrestling? Because these two suck. So thank God they upgraded you know, later on. But who's I better? Think, I think we've, you've got to disqualify Edge and Christian though because it, it is in canon now that they aren't brothers. Yeah, true. Whereas... They backed out of it. They, they, re- they really sort of like, whoa, okay, that, that yeah. was at the start. They were just but, friends. Yeah. <laughs> but so I reckon the Dudleys get it. Just oh. by the sheer volume of work there. And they stuck to it. You're right. The Dudleys they stuck with it. Absolutely stuck to it. But uh, we move on to another segment, which I don't know about you, Simon. This is one of the weirdest things that, we've, that I've seen. In fact, I couldn't even remember this happening in the actual pay-per-view, but it must have because it was there. Um, you're pretty accustomed these days with the WWE going to like Melbourne um, for global, not global warning. Yeah. For global warning and the other various international pay-per-view events they do. They always take some time out to show how good the city is. The little propaganda pieces that um, like, that is what I wrote. Is. I wrote Cleveland propaganda. <laughs> for I also wrote Cleveland <laughs> propaganda video because it's one of the strangest things. I've ever seen. They go for, it goes for so long. Yeah. It, so essentially what it is, it's the Godwins um, taking the metro rail. So this is the equivalent of them taking public transport to prove to everyone watching this pay-per-view that when you go to Cleveland, their public transport is so good that you could beat the body donors in a horse and cart mm. to the arena. Or the smoking <laughs> guns the, in a horse and cart. Oh, the smoking guns. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, just so strange. Then there's them painting graffiti. Uh, what what is going on? A, f- a free funeral is is being given it uh, given out by the. I made note of that because they brushed over it. They're like, 
and here's Sonny painting graffiti, and here's the smoking guns on a horse. And then right at the end, they're like, Undertaker and Paul Bearer also gave away a funeral. And it's like, what? It's like, they what? gave away a funeral. That's the weirdest <laughs> giveaway ever. I the tried absolute, looking at for details on that, couldn't find it, but that's the absolute best I'm part of that is them going, well, uh, when, when, cause obviously it's got them not presenting like a check to the <laughs> guy who's won, but the commentator is like, he can use that later. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, of course he can. He's not going to drop dead right there. <laughs> but but another weird, weird thing, prize. another weird thing too. Like, as I said, this is another proof how over the Godwins were. They were like, like I've written down here, the Godwins are like HBK at WrestleMania 12. Mm. And they I don't show them in a, in a shopping center. They show them with kids. They were the big stars of this show. So strange. Absolutely well, so strange. But, did you uh, find it weird, though, that they placed this video before the tag team match? Because in this video, we see the Godwins beat the smoking guns in the horse versus train race. But the mm-hmm. smoking guns beat the Godwins for the titles in the match. Yeah. This video should have gone before the match to before, promote yeah, rather than the after. feud. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's know. it's so strange, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's one of the most odd things you'll see. And also, Jr. with the most problematic call of the night too. So at the end of the match, Sonny is celebrating with the smoking guns, and he says mm. she missed that much needed trip to the woodshed. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. Jr. advocating for. Corporal punishment. But yeah. A corporal punishment there. Like, he, he, says it such con- banking. <laughs> he says it with such conviction too. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, he, he's really like, I can't believe this is happening. That but Jezebel. um, we, <laughs> Jezebel's another great one yeah. that I haven't heard in such a long time. Um, Bulldog versus Psycho Sid is up next. Mm. We mentioned this um, in basically our previous episodes, how completely over Psycho Sid is. Like this is a guy and he... I don't know what it is with him. Like, I, I, I drink the Sid Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'm a big fan too. I don't know what it is, but like, he's not a good wrestler. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> we know that he's not a good wrestler. So why do we love him so much? <laughs> he, he's good at everything else. That's what it, And WWF Vince McMahon <laughs> tried with him in 92, in 95, mm-hmm. in 96... <laughs> He tried three <laughs> times, even though Sid walked away every time. It's like, you know who we need? Sid. And every Sid. time he comes back, though, he gets himself super over. Like, and, and here, and- the promo he cuts pre-match, though, that's why Sid's great. He has that weird, unique promo style where he's like whispering and then mm. clenching his teeth. Like, it's, yeah, he's very charismatic. It's a touch of the Jake the Snake Roberts in terms of intimidation with the madness of the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. That's what it is. It's Ultimate <laughs> Warrior. It's Jake the Snake with the physique of like just this giant man. It's, mm. And the crazy hair, like the noodly bleached blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just remember that, that bit where he, he does a live promo on another paper, which is like, and he goes, well, let's do that again. It's like, we're live, pal. <laughs> yeah, we're live, pal. <laughs> uh, th- going about how Vince tried three times with him, let's not forget the amount of numerous times that he was given the main shot uh, and was the main focus of WCW. It was in the, in the 80s, then in the late 90s and early 2000s. So yeah. Every promotion was like, we need Sid. He, and, and people forget, 
He also had a weird short run in ECW. Where ECW he was super as well. over in ECW as well. Just everyone loves Sid. And and, and, and he's. His ECW run, though, is the strangest because he has those weird jean shorts that go off to his knees. (laughs) Which became his thing for a while, even in WCW. And to be fair, hey, John Cena turned it into a thing. So, you know, don't doubt the shorts. Look, look, in terms of the match, it was really much to do about nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Clarence Mason came out, though. Yeah, this match only went for six minutes. But I'll tell you what. The entrance, Sid's entrance is longer than the match and it's just the crowd going crazy for Sid. Like, it, watch this match because it's six minutes and it's kind of entertaining. Like, they don't do much, but it's fun. Yeah, it's harmless. It's very harmless. Unlike the Godwins, unless the tag team turmoil match, you're not going to go, oh, I need to find better things to do at my time. But, it was, but it's entertaining. Bulldog, though, two months ago, we saw him main event at King of the Ring against Shawn Michaels have a classic 30-minute match. Two months later, he's losing in six minutes to Sid. Mm. Mm. Yeah. He was able to get a fair bit of his power man offense in, but it was just to prove how much more powerful Sid is. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you suplex me. Well, I'm going to choke slam you, power bomb you, and you're done. Mm. And the crowd loved it. This was before the era of, like, I'm booing your booking decision. Why was it a squash? No, they're like, yep, you killed him. I love it. Give it more, more of this, please. Give it more off. But yeah, look, there was there was absolutely nothing in terms of uh, you know what happened there. But uh, then then we see a really cool and one of the cheesy ads from 1996 uh, about with aliens watching in your house mind games. Top yeah. shelf, absolute top shelf stuff there. Um, so in the ad, it's like some nerdy teenager watching WWF. Alien aliens appear. And then they're like, we're going to do a test with women of Earth. And these good-looking women appear because they're watching they're the watching WWF. Mind, mind. And, and appear. They just... <laughs> they just appear. And they're sort of alluding to the fact that if you watch 1996 WWF, good-looking women will flock to you. That is not true. It's it's almost like those... This is exactly the same thing in 1996. Um, there was a Sega Saturn print commercial in the United States which just basically had a Sega Saturn controller and uh, a woman completely naked but being covered by a bed sheet, you know, like lying in bed and the caption was, how about these curves? Implying the Saturn controller and it's like it's it's just like Sega Saturn, oh we'll just put in a a scantily clad woman here too, just for the just for just the hell of it. I love that you it could was, do that back then to promote things that are generally consumed by kids, though, like wrestling yeah. and Sega, and they're like sexy ladies. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing you'll see, but hey, there you go. At one Speaking point of- in this um, section of the show, Jr. claims that he spoke to Aussie fans who travelled all the way to SummerSlam. Do you think that was true? I don't actually think that was true. Was it true? I don't know. He just said it. It's like, oh, I spoke to some Australian fans. They traveled all the way here for SummerSlam. It wasn't a destination thing. And it wasn't even a city that you would travel to. No. Like, in Cleveland. No. Yeah, unless you're a big fan of the Drew Carey show. You're not, <laughs> you're not doing your best to get to Cleveland. I will say, but, though, um, it reminded me of a story in um, 98 when, you know, the height of the Attitude Era. There was a kid in my primary school biggest wrestling fan I've ever met in 98 his older brother traveled to I think it was SummerSlam he traveled overseas and he he promised me 
that his brother would get me back some WWF merch. He showed me the WWF magazine and he's like, tell me what you want and he'll be able to get it in person. And he never got me anything. I wanted wanted the DX denim jacket that they made at the time. He never got me anything. That reminded me of that. And that man's name was MCW star Adam Brooks. <laughs> I'm older than him. It wasn't him. I can assure you that. Yeah. But uh, hey, let's move on to our next match. And this, this is quietly becoming uh, the MVP of the Reliving the War podcast because you've got Goldust, who is in full weirdo mode here, but in a different sense hmm. to the Razor Ramon. Uh, loving weirdo up against Mark Merrow the wild man the wild man Mark Merrow because if you didn't guess that his nickname was the wild man Vince McMahon would force feed it down your throat in the by the gallon load yeah it's time to get wild and he would just yeah <laughs> go on about it all the time uh, what about during their entrance Vince says of Sable and Mark Merrow Merrow and Sable are very special people outside the ring I don't know what that means I don't know what that means either, because I actually wrote that down too. It actually yeah. very special people. Yeah, and like, put what? a question mark, because I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So odd. Um, another one too is like, uh, the promo while someone else has their entrance, they need to bring that back. Yeah, WWF back to- goes back and forth between using that. They did it on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. I don't mind it. Don't waste time with having a promo before every match or, you know, after one entrance and before the other. Just do it during an entrance. I think it's good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it really added a little bit of extra flair to Mark Merrow is also, they've really put their eggs in the Mark Merrow basket here. He's got, the, he's got the flashy robe. He looks like a million bucks. He's obviously spent uh, the good, the good uh, spray tan here. Mm. And, and they constantly tease this. Um, JR especially keeps mentioning how we're going to see something good at the end. We're going to see something good. The wild man's been working on something new. The wild, and you, so you're constantly thinking like, what is this new, what's this new move that he's going to be doing? Da, 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 da. But it, I, I've written down here, this match inoffensive, but nothing too memorable until Mark Merrow does the shooting star, uh, shooting star press. See, I, I had it slightly different. I said pretty average until Merrow's big flip to the outside, which was just before the wild thing. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. it sort of goes along fine, but then picks up right at the end. And you're right, JR kept pushing, oh, Merrow's going to show us the wild thing. He's been practicing it. He does the wild thing, which, as he said, it's like the shooting star press. Shooting star press, yeah. I figured that was the end of the match. I didn't remember who won. But mm. Goldust kicks out because of the um, uh, distraction and then Goldust ends up winning. But anyway, when Mero hits it, the crowd goes crazy. Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect are like, we've never seen anything like that in our lives. And then JR ruins it by saying, oh, there it is, the wild thing. Yeah, some, some call that the shooting star press. Yeah. Just yeah. pretend just like, like we've never seen it, JR. <laughs> just pretend like you don't know everything. I thought yeah. that almost felt intentional. Like he was the one who set it up. And then he's like, oh, you mean the shooting star press? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, you, you could almost see Perfect and um, Vince sort of staring over the desk like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Not everyone watches Japanese wrestling, you know. The, the, other, the other funny thing too was um, they constantly refer to Goldust, you know, his flamboyance as theatrics. Mm. Oh, it's Goldust theatrics. I think but, that um, would Goldust take is... 
taken their foot off the pedal here. They were trying to back away from the controversy. Very much so. But that being said, Goldust definitely isn't because he's in the full body suit. He's, but, and, and you're right, actually, though. I've never thought of this because he's leering more towards Sable than he is to Mark Merrowood. Yeah, they started to turn that a little bit here. And then by 97, Goldust would be a face and it would become about him denouncing that he was bizarre. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and and you know, I can't use the word that somehow Jerry Lawler was allowed to on Raw, but Jerry Lawler says, "Aren't you an f word?" Yeah, Goldust yeah. says, "No, I'm straight," and the crowd yeah. goes crazy, and it's so weird to watch back. But anyway, we'll very strange, very strange sign of the times there. But uh, I, I, there is I wanted also... to say though, like hmm. Goldust, Mero, Mankind, and Steve Austin, four guys who came from WCW, uh, you know, within like the past year. You're mm-hmm. right, though. They had their eggs in the marrow basket. Out of those four guys they got from WCW, oh, and Triple H will count him. They got yep. this big influx of talent. They thought Mero was going to be the big yeah, star, yeah. and they were wrong. Out of although, to be fair, let's 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 extend that a little bit because you got the natural Dustin Rhodes, who obviously yeah. is gold dust. Yeah, you've got stunning Steve Austin. Hindsight has proved that we're all wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, Jean-Paul Jack. Levesque. Yeah, yeah Jean- Jack. Jean-Paul Levesque. Let's slash Terror Ryzen. Yeah. Um, um, and Cactus Jack, you would have thought. You can sort of see what... Cactus Jack sort of went how we expected he was going to go. Oh, Invader. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Invader, <laughs> who's in the main event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting out of that... Well, Vader was always a star in WCW, so he was going to be a star in the WWE. But you're right. Out of that four, it's interesting that they did put all their eggs in the Johnny B. Bad basket. <laughs> this guy who's doing a knockoff, um, yeah, uh, Little Richard is going to be the, the guy. So strange. Absolutely so strange. But, yep, Goldust is involved in a post-match beatdown after his theatrics um, mm. where Mark Maris sort of gets his heat back. Uh, rightly so too, because Goldust is being very leery towards Sable. So, uh, and you know, this is 1996, where apparently, um, you know, women can't defend themselves, so it's up to a man to do it. So, yeah. there you go. Um, we then move on to an Ahmed Johnson interview, uh, which I don't know if you noticed. Kevin Kelly does it like he's the other guy on the other yeah. end of the couch. A very young Kevin Kelly before he was a regular announcer for the WWE and, you know, backstage guy. And yeah, now he's in Ring of Honor and had his stint in New Japan. Great, a great commentator. Mm. Yeah, Um, it's very good. It's it's kind of strange too to see how this sort of sets up for the money feud with Ahmed Johnson and Farouk. (laughs) Now, was this kidney injury real? I didn't bother looking it up. But as a kid, I assume this was a real thing. I assume... I assume this was real as well, purely because, well, you know, I didn't have the internet in 1996, so... And, and like nor did he, I have any question. Like, I mean, gorilla, if Gorilla Monsoon said he had to strip Ahmed Johnson because he uh, he couldn't defend the title, then by golly, I'll, I'll listen to the president of the WWF. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you're right. They stripped him of the title two months after winning it, so maybe it was real. And Ahmed didn't look happy. He looked comfortable, but not happy because he was in a very, uh, you know nice red evening gown and nothing else, which I thought was a strange outfit for the interview, but you know, whatever works, Ahmed. 
it was almost like a smoking jacket. <laughs> it's, yeah, it had a bit of a Playboy vibe to it. Like that's what he put on for this interview. Just a red smoking jacket. Just as red. It's like it's almost as if Kelly Ke- uh, Kevin Kelly, not Kelly Kelly. That would be even weird. That would make sense um, why he's wearing the smoking jacket. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> but it was almost as if like he was expecting uh, Kevin Kelly and the WWF cameraman to come around to his house for the interview, but he didn't know what time, and he just got out of the shower. <laughs> he was just like, "Hang on a second. Oh look." Look, give me five minutes. I'll just put something on. And um, Kevin Kelly was like, do you want to put on pants? And Ahmed's like, you've seen me in less than a robe. It's fine. You know, like (laughs) I wrestle in my jocks. It's like, and you've already set up the cameras. It's fine. I'll just keep the robe on. We'll just do it. (laughs) This uh, this also seamlessly led back into uh, Farouk in ring for promo with Sonny. Um, Farouk's in his gladiator phase here. Pre-Nation of Domination Farouk is so weird. And when I say his gladiator phase, I mean not like either you entertained. He's got like an American gladiator style look to him. Like a Very foam strange. blue gladiator helmet. And he even has like Spartacus type theme music, which again, it's mm. like, what? Sorry, <laughs> we're forgetting another one. Obviously, Ron Simmons came from WCW too. Yes, yes. And, and this was what they gave him. <laughs> yeah, know. it was just... It, this, it's very paint by numbers to sort of continue the feud. Yeah. So, Man, WWE got lucky. Watching it back, like we know there are hints of where things would go and like there's flashes of brilliance. Like Steve Austin isn't even on the show. But the mm. fact that they had Ron Simmons doing this, they had Mark Merrow and Goldust and Triple H and blah, blah, blah. Eventually the pieces fell into place. But with the talent they took from WCW, man, it took them a while to get it right for almost all of them. It is yeah, weird it, that they won the war with WCW guys, though. And their whole selling point is like, duh, WCW cheated. They just took all of our guys. You all our suits. Yeah. You did the same. <laughs> but the, the funny, the funny thing, too, is I, when, when you put it like that, it's almost as if, like, WC, uh, WWF are trying to solve a Rubik's Cube and they're so <laughs> concerned with trying to get the green side that somehow they've got every other side. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Looks oh, like we we've got a cube. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we get led to our next match which is the just you want to talk about matches that insult your intelligence jake roberts versus jerry the king lawler i think it goes for the match goes for about a blink of an eye but the segment goes for so long yeah we'd see flashes of what the attitude era would become in this one they make you know all the illusions and jokes to um Jake the Snake being an addict and a drunk and they make jokes about his wife. But geez, this drag on and on and on. Jerry Lawler just roasting Jake the Snake for like 15 minutes. Mark Henry's out there on commentary. Um, This was weird. Although this will blow your mind. We mentioned it in King of the Ring. Jake the Snake was 41 years old at the time. (laughs) Guess how old Jerry Lawler is? 42. No, he's four, no, he's he's sixty now, isn't he? Jerry Lawler is six years older than Jake the Snake. Wow! Looking at That's... them in this match, you would n- you would not think they're anywhere in the same decade no, as each not other. Not the same decade, there. Boy, no. Jake looked rough for forty-one. Incredibly rough there, but look, Jr. sort of summed it up. He compared King to a bad comedian on a cruise ship, which I thought was quite funny, uh, but. It was just so strange. And you want to talk about Owen Hart with the finish of the cast in the back of the neck. Mm. Um, the King wins this match in quick succession after 
getting the bottle, this, the bottleneck of a Jim Beam bottle and jamming it into the neck of uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, JR was wrong when he said the other match was going to be a Jackie Chan movie. This was a Jackie Chan <laughs> move. Like the throat hit with the bottle. The like that thrust. Was, that was brutal. And that's what, what won him the match. Um, and, and Lawler had the line earlier. He's like, I've got Jake's tag team partners, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. And yeah, he ended up winning with one of them. So it, it all came full circle. It also sort of ended up with... Um, so. Jake's just writhing in pain. Oh, well, there was a bit of highlights for Jake at the start because he does bring out Damien out of the bag. Uh, it, it wasn't Damien. It oh, wasn't Damien. I didn't think so. Uh, I thought it was Damien. But at one uh, point they said the snake's name is Revelations. Yeah. To tie in with the religious oh, tie in with yeah. the, He upgraded with from becoming, Damien. Yeah, there you go. Obviously yeah. didn't do too well for him. But, <laughs> no. uh, but uh, look... Uh, Mark Henry comes to the aid of Jake at the end because while while Jake is writhing around in pain, we see um, Jerry the King Lawler pouring Jim Beam on him and, and the commentators are just absolutely, you don't do that. He's, he's pouring <laughs> that to a, to an alcohol. And just, it was just so funny to watch, but um, incredibly ridiculous. But uh, yeah, Mark Henry comes out for the aid of uh, Jake the Snake there in a weird sort of, uh, thing because they even say in commentary he doesn't know how to wrestle mm, he doesn't know how to wrestle and they would wrestle at the next pay-per-view and i don't know it's kind of a weird choice for mark henry's first ever feud but i guess jerry lawler was you know a heat magnet and a veteran it really didn't yeah. work for mark henry for years though he's another guy like jbl it took a long time for it to fully click like he had so many moments of great stuff here and there but it took a really long time for it to really work. But hey, he's a great example. Don't give up. Yeah, definitely not. And let's face it, it was very easy. To, it would have been very easy with the first 20-odd part, twenty odd years of his first half uh, to, yeah. to go, no, nah, I'm done with this. But um, then we get uh, a nice little video package to recap the feud between Mankind and The Undertaker. And they sell it like a million dollars here. This, mm. this, because remember, it's a, it's a co-main event here. You got Undertaker versus, um, Undertaker versus Mankind in a boiler room brawl, followed by Vader versus Shawn Michaels. But tell you what, it's it just really hyped you up. And to see how many times that Mankind was under the ring and just being a thorn in in um, Undertaker's side for a guy that is really, you know. We know now how legendary The Undertaker is, but he was seen back then as, you know, he's The Undertaker. He still had that sort of legendary presence to him. Yeah, he was invincible at this time. No one could hurt him, even though we had seen him get beat down and he's earned stolen. Mankind really felt like the first threat. Like I remember even as a kid thinking, whoever this Mankind guy is, he's even with The Undertaker. And he wasn't he doing it always... by cheating. He wasn't stealing his magic or his urn or burying him. It was just this guy, for some reason, has his number. And the mandible claw, this oh, is long yeah. before Mr. Socko. Like, it was devastating. This was the sort of, this was like poison to the Undertaker. He'd put it on him, and you'd see it in the highlights package too. He'd put, he'd apply the mandible claw onto Undertaker and take a beer down for the count. Yeah. And, and they did a great job of explaining the mandible claw and why it works. I think they need to do this more with finishing moves. Explain why they hurt. Because oh, they, they hurt, said, yeah. you know, it was invented by that um, doctor that the fugitive was based on. And it 
numbs you and paralyzes you. Like, that's cool. As a kid, you just tell me that and I believed it. Whereas a lot of finishing moves, we don't understand why they hurt, honestly. Mm. The zigzag, mm. I don't get it because he lands get first. It, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, no, this, was a, this was a great match. I even wrote, I said, so far, this isn't the best SummerSlam. It's watchable, but not great. These last two matches change it completely. Um, the promo video, Todd Pettingill does the voiceover. They put an mm-hmm. echo on his voice to make it sound like he's in the boiler room. And then from there, we just go to the boiler room and it, it yeah. just kicks off. We even see, well, first we see uh, Paul Bearer entering the oh, ring with the urn. He has a little entrance. And then we see Undertaker so apprehensively uh, walking towards the boiler room. He's, he's walking to the entrance of the boiler room, which has got boiler room danger written on it in giant letters should have said but boiler the, room ominous and just... <laughs> yes. but the, the, the way that i can describe the way that undertaker was walking around the boiler room at the start before he finds mankind uh is it's sort of like when you go around to a friend's house who's just bought a new place and you ask them where the toilet is and they're like <laughs> oh it's just down the hall to the left and you're sort of okay uh he said down the hall because he's just very gently um tiptoeing around until finally mankind just attacks him from behind. This also got me thinking too, Simon, is this the first cinematic match we need the to WWF take, has done? We need to take photos of our notes. I wrote, was this the first, first cinematic match? <laughs> it really was, though. That, that's a good point. We didn't yeah. think about it until watching this uh, event. This was mm. the first cinematic match. They shoot it with multiple camera angles. There's very little commentary. It's presented as its own thing. Like, yeah, mm. Undertaker There's is all... the king of it. Yeah, he, he was a pioneer more than 20 years ago. Yeah. He also, he also, the, the, you can also tell there's some, um, like the feed cuts in and out because it's live, but there's some awful edits there, but pretty good for 1996 style. But um the, the fight does go for a fair while in the boiler room, but then it gets dragged out into the locker room. And I've written down, they fight backstage like it's SmackDown 1 on PlayStation because <laughs> yeah. it, they're being dragged around. And you also have a random Steve Austin appearance where he's just background noise. Like he's just background fodder. Folks, he's out of one on. of the rooms. Yeah, that, that's mm. a great shot though. They fight in the boiler room, and then I forgot that they fight through the locker room hallway. And Mm. that part of the brawl is probably better. But there's a couple of highlights. One of them, uh, Undertaker gets a bin and absolutely hammers Foley in the head. It might be the Mm. hardest bin shot I've ever seen. (laughs) And then he throws a pallet, like a wooden pallet that you'd see on a forklift, straight at his face. Straight at him, yeah. They do some really, really brutal stuff. i got to say... Not only that... The ladder spot from Mick Foley, he's on a ladder and Undertaker tips him over. Just, yeah, it's huge. On the, on, as a guy that's worked in a supermarket for 10 years, pallets aren't, aren't easy to move around. <laughs> so that was just immense. Another one while they're fighting through the corridors, through the locker room and getting back to it, there's a bit where mankind puts, and I quote, scalding hot coffee on The Undertaker. <laughs> Yeah, he throws like a big urn of coffee, like that American-style filtered coffee, just straight in his face. Was I crazy, or did they do a bunch of smoke effect in that scene to make it look like the steam from the coffee? No, no, that's what they did. They definitely did, because I was thinking, like, that coffee ain't that hot. (laughs) Because I was like, is that meant to be the stage pyro that's leaked through, or are they saying the coffee is that hot? And I think they were saying the coffee was that hot. 
Yeah, because if you notice, none of that steam was coming off the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, another weird one too. Well, not weird, but this was a cool little thing to sort of see. As they go out into the arena, you see these huge CRT TVs in, fr- in the front row of the crowd. And the monitors are just huge, like the big ones. Because obviously, this is a boiler room brawl that's taking place out of the ring. So they've got four monitors, which also come into play, uh, parked in front. And while, when they do get back in the ring, you get a picture-in-picture where they've got the TV uh, uh, at the bottom. So it just looks so strange. But you're thinking, oh, man, those monitors are huge. Yeah, but how weird, though, that we don't think of that. This was pre-Titantron. So for the mm. crowd to watch the backstage part of the fight, they had to just watch them on some TVs that were rolled out. Like, what a weird mm. experience. Um, so odd. Yeah. And so to win this match, you fight in the boiler room, and then it's the first one to get to the ring? Is that mm-hmm. right? I was still confused well, by the, well, the it, way it's to the, win. It's, it's the first person to get um, the Undertaker's urn, I think it was. Okay. But um, they, they still have a fair bit of action in the ring too because there's a pile driver onto the concrete which is a devastating it was in 1996 this is like uh the most devastating move in the arsenal yeah they do a lot of stuff in this match though the weapons the ladders this was a lot of stuff that would become commonplace but in 96 to see this and a pile driver on the outside like this was as hardcore as it gets in the wwf Mm, it really was but this is the this is the the moment that sort of changed everything where the mm. Paul Bearer turns heel on the Undertaker and uh, it, it's, it's shocking. Taker gets decimated. He gets, um, mankind gets control of the urn and the commentator just like, why, why would Paul Bearer turn on the Undertaker? Why? This is one of the biggest heel turns that you, that you will see in 1996 WWE. Yeah, this was a huge moment. I never thought as a kid that Paul Bearer and The Undertaker would ever split up. And when it happened, mm. I remember in my head this being bigger than it was. I feel like the crowd reaction wasn't what I remembered. I think the crowd was shocked that he turned on him. For some reason, I always imagined it was like... I pictured like kids crying, you know, yeah. like things like that. Yeah, It was kind of um, weird, wasn't it? The crowd didn't know how to take it. Yeah, retroactively in my mind, I remembered it being a much bigger deal than it really was. And then and it, it was a big deal later on. It was though. a huge deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, odd, odd reaction. Then the uh, the Druids came out afterwards to mop up The Undertaker, but uh, very strange. As you sort of said, this is, Mankind was one of the first people where it was sort of seen on the level mm. of uh, The Undertaker. And him winning this feud, essentially, was, uh, you know, a big step. Yeah, and... And the crazy thing is the feud keeps going. We still get buried alive and we get the match at Survivor Series. And then years later, it it just never ends. But yeah, always good. And so many crazy moments to come. So Mm. yeah, I'm excited to follow it through again. Very much so. Look, we then get another Jim Cornette promo. (laughs) These are always so much fun. He, He, The thing with Jim Cornette is I love how he, he actually does make, you know, callbacks to previous promos that he's done like i said that we'd go and beat and i did it but vader is just sort of there cornet is the star of the show when it comes to this um this little bit of dialogue isn't he yeah and vader's just doing more of his weird goofy stuff that i made note of last time vader retroactively as a character does so many things where you're like 
aren't you meant to be a monster? But he's there like doing weird things with his gums and making funny faces. Like he's way more cartoony than mm. like y- y- the memory that everyone has of him is. Um, but anyway, you're right. Jim Cornette steals the show here. I wrote down this line and I had to rewind it twice to get it because it killed me. Yep. When yep. Vader grabs you by the neck and you try to talk, your voice is going to sound like Peter Frampton's kazoo in the instrumental break in Do You <laughs> Feel Like We Do? I was like, that's so specific. That's the such best a, insult ever. Like, it's such a specific Jim Cornette insult as well. But yeah. uh, when, we have, when we finally do get to the match, uh, Vader is constantly referred to as the Mastodon by, uh, by Vince as he comes out. And he's just, he's a, He's a big monster. We forget, as I said to um, International Incident, you forget that Vader was actually a big deal during his initial first few months in the WWF. Mm. And this is where it all falls apart. Um, Yeah, unfortunately. Good, great match though. Awesome. Thing is though, but 96 Sean, you look at 96 Sean, well worth the hype of Vince screaming during the (laughs) intro. Like, Like he's... Out of the, the gates, most I mean, charismatic, the most resilient. Everything. Now, does, do you reckon that was that's a real fan that jumps the guardrail, isn't it? I don't. I, I think so. I wrote, "Where did the girl who kissed Sean come from?" I think she yeah. did jump the guardrail. So he's very because we saw previously at international incident, the entire thing fell over. There was that many people. They loved. Sean Michaels, 96 Sean was just the hottest commodity in the WWF. So you could see why he, um, why Vince was so high in him. In his the ladies of Cleveland loved Sean Michaels. They had so many shots to women in the crowd. I was actually shocked. Like yeah, you don't was, really, you wouldn't see that in wrestling for a very long time. That many women in the crowd. They came to see Sean Michaels. 100%. And out of the gates, he is all over Vader. This is just, this is the equivalent of just, basically Vader looks like a player two controller with no player attached because Shawn Michaels is just doing all of his moves until Vader gives him a stiff power bomb to the mat. Yeah. Then, then the tide sort of turns a little bit. But before Vader can turn the tide, like you said, Shawn Michaels is just... Uh, like, he's an adult playing his two-year-old son in a video game who doesn't know how yep. to play. He hits a dive over the top, which is huge. You forget Sean could do, like, the no-hands dive straight over like The Undertaker. And then he does a move that was... I don't think I've seen Sean do it before. That was a great thing about these Sean matches. He'd do things he wouldn't do in any other match. He does a mm. victory roll to Vader. He rolls un- uh, Vader over the top rope while still holding the ropes, then skins the cat back onto the inside, then <laughs> goes back out to try and hurricane Rana Vader. Only then is he powerbombed. That whole sequence is some like young bucks PWG type stuff that no one in the yeah. WWE would do for year till years later. Shawn Michaels Absolutely 96 crazy. was a whole nother level. Shawn Michaels 96 is like a calculated Jeff Hardy. Like, Jeff Hardy, you're just like, oh, man, how did, like, Jeff, look at you. You're writhing in pain as well, man. Just relax, Jeff. But the thing that sort of turns the tide is a Brock Lesnar-style shot to the nuts by HBK. (laughs) Yeah. Which which sort of sets the footprint, uh, the blueprint, sorry, for all WWF programming for years to come. Hmm. If we want to 
like have the little guy beat the big guy, we got to punch him in the balls. <laughs> Sometimes a low blow is all it takes to turn the tide. Like that is their weak spot because every man can relate to it. Like that's, that's their true. thinking. Um, but this match, I think infamously, I think these days it's pretty famous for the elbow drop spot. So mm-hmm. the story goes that Shawn Michaels wanted to do this bit where he goes for the elbow drop. Vader would roll, but Sean would know that Vader's going to roll, so he lands on his feet and kicks him. Mm-hmm. Vader, in the moment, forgot to move. So what ends up happening is Vader's lying down, Sean Michaels goes for an elbow drop, Vader doesn't move, and Sean just lands on his feet next to Vader. Lands on his feet inches from his head just in basically yeah. jump straight down yeah jump straight to his head and then you can see sean is frustrated it's all on camera you don't even have to put the volume up sean says move kicks him in the head move kicks him in the head and then he's <laughs> like you idiot kicks him in the head again and it's just very very awkward and supposedly there, that was it for vader the match is still great but that is the end of Vader's run in WWF, more or less. From in that moment. from there, it does all go. It goes south from there because Vader then wins via countout, mm-hmm. um, and then Jim Cornette. They like, even plays music. Jim Cornette gets back on the ring and says, "No, no, we don't want to win the title like this." Ah, uh, da, da 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 da. We get a restart. Mm. So the match continues for a little bit more. Then another DQ. Refs are involved. It just becomes a huge huge mess yeah they restart the match twice and then sean wins in the end a cool finish though vader goes for the moonsault and misses then sean goes for his moonsault and wins kind of creative but the story goes this was meant to be match one of three and that's Mm -hmm. why they did the multiple endings the plan was vader was going to beat sean at survivor series and then sean would beat vader at royal rumble in, in san antonio Sean and Vader didn't get along. This didn't work for Vader. They end up subbing Sid in for all of that, which we'll get to. I still mm-hmm. really like the match, even with the weird endings, the crowds into it. I still thought this was the best match of the month out of the two shows. There's just so much that happens in the end. It takes away from what is a fantastic match. It's a great little man versus big man sort of match uh, that sort of lays the blueprints it's i I often sort of like to think of it as anytime i see a little man versus big man match it's the the wood chopper trying to chop down the huge tree you get your little strikes and stuff like that which is exactly what sean did Mm. you have to run them off their feet it's and it's it's something that now that people would sort of link to the ray mysterio style of match where every time he goes up against like a kevin nash he has to run them off their feet and that's what happened unfortunately with all that crap at the end it sort of takes the gloss of it just just a smidge. Yeah. Well, I don't mind that it didn't end in one of the D- DQs. At least it ended up ending with a pinfall. Mm. It, it makes sense in hindsight what they were trying to do, but you're right. It is a bit, bit dodgy. It sort of slows the momentum each time the DQ happens. But if you take it just for its action and just for the pace of it, like, man, these guys don't stop. This is 22 minutes and it flew by. Like, it feels like it's 10 minutes. The other thing too is now we're we're doing we're reliving the war with the benefit of hindsight. How pumped are you at the end of this match to see? Or oh, I wonder what would happen if Vader and Sean go head to head next. If there aren't any shenanigans, what stipulation are they going to do yeah. to make sure this can't happen? Maybe Jim Cornette will say, you know, you can win on a DQ, or it'll be no DQ. That'll be like 
as a fan, you're sort of sitting there going, oh, that was an awesome match. What are they going to do next? It's a real shame because these guys had such great chemistry, arguably better chemistry than Vader had with anyone else in the WWF. Like this match was pretty much perfect aside from that damn elbow drop spot. And yeah, it's a shame because imagine how much better the rematches could have been if we saw a street fight or a cage match or whatever. And, And especially if it ended at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio, in the Alamo Dome with 50,000 people. You know, mm. yeah, it's a shame. Missed opportunity, but a good ending to the pay-per-view with those two matches. They sort of saved the show. It, it falls into the WCW category of the main, like leaving the fans happy. Like after watching, after watching the, uh, the Boiler Room Brawl and this match, you kind of forget that you have to sit through the Godwins and all of that sort of stuff. So you're right. I do reckon... There's a lot more stuff that I remember on this and enjoyed more in SummerSlam 1996 than I did watching Hogwild. Yeah, I'm the same. For me, like, Hogwild felt longer for some reason. It felt like a long show. It was hard to sit through in one go for me. Even the, even the main event of Hogwild, like the one that we all remember, I don't remember it going for that long. How like, long did it, it go just... for? I'm sure it wasn't as long as Hogwild. this match, but it felt... Hollywood Hogan and the Giant went for 15 minutes. It felt twice as long as the SummerSlam. That felt like it went for half an hour. I kid you not. It was just so slow and plodding. This is just so much better. And like you said, it didn't feel that long. Until you said it was 22 minutes, I could have told it was 15 at the Mm. most. Yeah. And like they say, a good main event uh, can save a bad show. A bad main event can ruin a great show. To me... This was two good main events saving whatever else was on the show. You know, you Mm. could sit through it, definitely for sure. It's a watchable show and it's absolutely saved by these two unique main events, I thought. 100%, 100%. But uh, if we're going through, as we normally do, who do we think won uh, in this month? Look, I think think we made it pretty clear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. SummerSlam is probably the... It is the better show, I thought, for, for whatever reason overall. I think historically, Hog Wild or Road Wild maybe is more important because of the main event, Hogan getting the belt, turning it into the NWO title. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. But then again, the Boiler Room Brawl changes, you know, the style of WWF too. So it's this one is the harder, hardest so far. It is the hardest because as you sort of said, um, Hog Wild for WCW kicked off the dominance of the NWO where they finally got the, uh, the, the championship gold and spray painted in the most graphic sort of thing in a clip that would be replayed over and over. However, SummerSlam 96, if we ignore what happens like with the participants of the match, it sort of starts off the attitude, like the bits of attitude era are sprinkled in here. The brawling between mankind and Undertaker. We see that constantly during the, um, during the Boiler Room Brawl. We see that constantly during the attitude era. It sort of sets the blueprint for that. In terms of the little man versus the big man sort of thing, it sets the blueprint for that. There are so many things in SummerSlam 96 that affect wrestling even to this day. Yeah. yeah. So you could argue that it has some historical impact too um, yeah ultimately when one. I, I agree with you there it's it's hog wild by nose purely yeah. because you always remember you always remember um uh, the dominance of the nw but like i said in our hog wild review i didn't even remember that brutus the barber beefcake was in the main event not at all i think <laughs> we only all turned it gr- off by that point 
<laughs> you always remember the grabs, but you don't remember the actual full thing. Whereas with this, you don't remember the full, you don't remember the grabs, but you do remember the full thing, which is strange. Yeah. I'm looking at the card for uh, Hogwild again. I suppose historically it's got the bigger names on it. I don't know. It's, uh, it's such a tough one. It is a tough one, but look... I'm going to say probably... I enjoyed SummerSlam more. So if I was yeah. going to recommend which one to watch, for your sanity, I'll say just sit through SummerSlam. Yeah, sit through SummerSlam and watch the highlights of uh, Hogwild because it's more condensed. Yeah. It's very strange. Very, very strange. But uh, look, all in all, a solid pay-per-view. Like, like we said, go back and watch it. There's plenty there. And... The only thing really, the only thing that's really offensive in terms of, oh, I don't want to waste my time watching this, is the tag match. Yeah, absolutely. Don't watch that. Um, we've done it for you, so just you know, yeah, thank us, take our word for it, and skip it. Um, there is a, there's, there is a next match function in the WWE <laughs> Network. Use it for that match. Who is your MVP of this show? That's something we always do. Uh, my MVP of this show has to be. Uh, I've got to go with Mankind. Yeah, because. Throughout, he's threaded throughout the thing from, from day dot. From the moment he he's, he's the first thing you sort of see when the broadcast starts uh, in terms of his match with The Undertaker, they really, you can sort of tell if it wasn't for the fact that this is the era where the world title match always goes on last, I reckon Taker versus Mankind would be a main event. I feel like they do end up main, main eventing. I think... Buried alive, they just main event. Um, I think they realized slowly but surely they were onto something with mankind, like they had something. Um, because because look, yeah. he's even sprinkled in a little bit with the Mark Mero, like they even plant the seeds for a few yeah. with Mark Mero because they show him interacting with Sable on Raw. So, this is you're right, this is the part where mankind really sort of shows his worth mm. in terms of uh, the WCW quote unquote rejects. Well, we're getting there because next month for the WWF, it is mind games, it is mankind versus Shawn Michaels in arguably the greatest match from this era. Uh, it's gone on to become, you know, sort of a, a cult classic. Five stars, if you've never seen it, it is an absolute classic match. And I can't wait to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a while, but mm. I'm pretty sure it holds up. You're right. I'll give it to Mankind too. He changes the style in this show, the Boiler Room Brawl. It's good stuff. It, it would be very easy to say Vader is also like the MVP here He's too. Good. because. He's, he's, he's also like, because leading, if you take into account all the pay-per-views that we've watched, Vader's stock's on the rise here mm. to combat Shawn Michaels, but unfortunately it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, and, so, and it's too easy to just say Shawn Michaels is the MVP because he sort yeah. of, by default, is on all these shows because he, he's operating on another level here as a wrestler. Where, it's crazy. And to be fair, like, Okay, if this is a match where Shawn Michaels is phoning it in, he's still better than 90% of the card. I know. Like, yeah, you hear Jim Cornette talk about it, and he's like, oh, Shawn was unprofessional. He didn't want to work with Vader. Puts on easily the best match of the show, like, in his sleep. Like, yeah. It's... Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. But look, we will get to mind games in uh, a couple of weeks' time. But next on Reliving the Wall, we go back to WCW. And this is going to be very, very cool because I think, is this our, f actually, no, we, we just watched a pay-per-view that had a gimmick match. Because I was about to say, is this going to be the first pay-per-view where we have a, a proper gimmick match? 
War Games. Yeah, we got the WWF's version in the Boiler Room Brawl. WCW has War Games, and we get to review it. Uh, I can't remember the 96 one, so it should be fun. I can, I can only remember it for two words, and this is something to keep your eye out for, or ear out for, listeners. Fake Sting. Yes, Fake Sting. Okay, I remember which one it is. This is going to be good. It's going to be very good. But yes, make sure you catch up on all our previous editions of Reliving the War. You can find them on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Grey Wolf ENT, you can find us on Instagram, Spotify, all the socials, Apple Podcasts. Check that out for yourself. Keep in touch with Simon and myself. Follow Simon on Twitter, at Simon Tackler. Follow me, at Doc Nims. But uh, man, just just who would have thought the words fake sting would get me so excited for a pay-per-view? <laughs> Fake sting. If you weren't there for it, relive the war with us and watch that pay-per-view, Fall Brawl 96. Yeah, it's it's a wild one. It's going to be very cool. Until then, we've had an f- absolute blast doing it. Simon, let's do it again in a couple of weeks. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.